Future Self Podcast, episode 25. We go through and go through and go through, and then the only thing that we're looking forward to is that, you know, that trip or our friend's wedding or the birth or whatever. We're waiting for these moments, but we forget that our life is happening the whole time as we're waiting to get there. This is the Future Self Podcast. Here's your host, Robert Ingalls. Welcome back to episode 25 of the Future Self Podcast, your resource for knowledge, insight, and inspiration. Now, before we dive into my podcast, I want to talk about your podcast. You know that podcast that you keep saying that you should start? Now, you know you have a good story, and you know people will listen. So my question for you is, what are you waiting for? Podcasting has taken the creative control away from the entertainment executives and placed it back in the hands of the people. Today, all it takes to have a successful podcast is a unique story that resonates with your listeners. Today, the people get to decide for themselves what is worthy. To get you started on your podcasting journey, I've partnered with Advent Coworking to present a live four-week podcasting course that will take you from idea to launching your show on iTunes in four short weeks. To sign up, go to yourpod.pro and you'll be the first to know when the cart opens up. That is yourpod.pro. All right, let's jump into today's show. This week, I had a candid conversation with Court Creedon, the founder of Parent Financial and the author of the hot new personal development book, Blue Goat. As you know, I like to dig deep into the story with people, and Court did not hesitate to go there with me. Do you feel like there's more to life? Do you feel like you're destined to do more than just live for the weekends? Are you ready to make a difference by living your truth? If any of this applies to you, then Court Creedon is the red pill that is going to wake you up. Let's jump into it. Where are you headed with this? Like, you know, I I look in your background, I'm on your LinkedIn profile, you know, financial planner, you were an analyst for uh, the government Mm -hmm. and then financial planner for four or five years, maybe longer. I got a copy of this book from Will and I start reading it and I'm expecting it to be a book written by a financial planner. Right. I mean, he told me a little bit about it, but I was like, there's got to be another angle. Like he's mm. got to be trying to sell me something. Yeah. And then I'm reading it and it was speaking, you know, to my soul, literally. And and I'm thinking as I'm reading it, like this was written by a guy who is who is living through some shit that I feel like I'm living through. Like I, this is written by a guy who used to be a financial planner. <laughs> like that was my thought. That's what I told my wife. I was like, right. I don't, I can't wait to talk to this guy because I don't really understand where he's headed because mm. it feels like he's headed somewhere else. Yeah. What, tell me about that. Well, I think that getting in finance for me was part of my desire to help as many people as possible. I, I always felt like I've been on this path of wanting to do huge, great, big things. I was up in New York City, lived there during 9-11 um, kind of from that decided, okay, well, you know, if it all ended tomorrow, what would I be happy doing? And then I decided, well, maybe I'd want to be a headmaster like my dad. He had a great career. So I went and tried and taught school, taught high school, ninth and 10th grade world history and coached soccer and lacrosse for a couple of years. Didn't like that. Got back into sales and consulting, finally got back into finance and then started doing financial planning. And I really, from what I saw in the financial planning world, realized there were these huge gaps of people that weren't getting help because the advisors, the majority of advisors were working with wealthier individuals. So I said, I, I want to go and change the world and work with as many people. And I want to have a parent financial in every city across the country. And truth be told, that's still the goal. That's still the mission. I want to have a parent financial because I believe there's that big of a need for that late twenties to mid to late forties, even early fifties people that are trying to get their whole financial lives together. But during that and kind of where blue goat came from was realizing that People are trying to not just get their financial lives together, but they're trying to figure out their entire life. And even worse, they're going on this long path of just living without really realizing what is the end game? What are we trying to accomplish? And what I found in talking with people, you know, for the better part of a decade is that there's so much more coaching that I can do and hopefully help that I can provide outside of just finance. I want to sit down with people and not just help them get their financial lives in order, but get their entire life in order, help them learn how to meditate, help them learn how to be more mindful, help them to be you know, more present, more aware, and also not just goal-driven. We all want to be successful and have money and do all these great things, but who's that for? Is that for society's version of who I'm supposed to be or is that for the version that I really want to be and help people figure out 
what is my path and what is success for me, not as what is this dangled kind of carrot version of success that I'm chasing after and help people realign their lives around becoming a blue goat and living a true blue goat life. So I'm hoping I can honestly do both. I love that. Yeah. I, I really love that. I, uh, uh, so much of that story resonated with me as I was going through it. And, and the one that kind of really punched me in the gut, because that's one of the things that made me wake up is a story about Carl hmm. and, and going, you know, he checked the boxes his whole life. Right. You know, that's another chapter, but he checked all these boxes. He'd gone to school, gotten good grades, gone to med school, found a pretty wife, bought a big house, got the fast cars. And then you're sitting at your desk at, in his sixties and you know, wife's gone, doesn't have a relationship with the kid. He's just not happy about anything that he has. Right. And, and, and he just spent so many years chasing it all. And, and to be fair from the outside, he was living the dream Right. that, you know, that, that society holds up as the dream. Mm-hmm. And, and that was how I felt. That's what kind of shook me free of my mold is I was sitting there and my wife came to me and I know my listeners probably heard the story more than they want to hear it, but <laughs> I was, a uh, 35 years old and we just gotten married and we decided, well, if we have kids, we'll have kids. And then she came to me just a few months after we got married and she was like, we're having kids. <laughs> and, and that, that took me by surprise and it made me kind of reassess. And I realized I don't want to be doing this in 40 years. Hmm. I don't want to do this for another 40 years. This doesn't bring me joy. Right. This is not my highest level of contribution. And, and I was helping people. I was absolutely. I mean, I could look back through the, my career and see a number of people I'd, I'd absolutely helped but I wasn't helping myself and I wasn't helping people in the way that I knew I could. Hmm. And that more of a full, you know, live a full life type of way, yeah. drill down into the big issues. And, and it took me a long time to get there because I, you know, when I first had that thought, I was like, man, that'd be cool. But that's something other people do. That's something that someone who's lived a life different than me does. And, and, yeah. and so it took me a long time. And when I actually launched my podcast first, I launched it as part of my law firm. Interesting. Because I wasn't ready to tell the world yet that screw this, I want to go be this guy. Like right. this is who my true authentic self is. And and so I, I kind of weaseled it in through the law firm and I was like, well, it'll be okay. Society will accept it if it's part of this end big goal that society says is, is a worthy goal to have right. of being a lawyer. And I tried to find different areas of the law that would make me happy and, and finally I just I decided I'm I'm done. Good for you, man. That's yeah. awesome. So that, that was my story. So when I was reading yeah. through that book, I was like, I don't want to be Carl. Hmm. Yeah. When I think the problem is, is that for so many of us, we get stuck in that, right? We, we've got to like build a resume in high school. We're starting in high school. We're giving up who we are before we even know who we are, right? So we're starting to try to fill blinds on a page and trying to live for what our life might be in 10, 15, 20 years, as opposed to ever living for today. Right, we're constantly giving up, okay, can I actually have fun and be a 13, 14, 18 year old, or am I so worried about what this is gonna look like for me to get into a college? So I can get into the best college because we know the numbers are there, just because you go to a good college doesn't mean you're gonna get the great job and then happily live after, right? So I think to your point, one of the reasons why I really love that story and wanted to share that about Carl is, for many of us, we're in a position where we're not 65 or 70 years old yet. So we can hit pause and finally say, let me stop and look around and say, am I exactly where I want to be? Am I doing the things I want to do? Am I living the life I want to live? Or am I just doing the thing that I was told that was always going to lead me to that happy place at some point that all of a sudden you realize, holy cow, this isn't going to get me where I want to be. This isn't the house, the cars, the everything. It does, I feel the same as I did when I was 18 years old trying to get ready to go to school. I'm, I'm just as happy and just as confused. And I think... That's the scariest part for most people is that they never truly realize that life is actually happening to them right now and the choices that they make are either taking them further and further away from the person they want to become or they're getting closer and closer to that and honoring like you did. Say, no, you know what? I'm going to step away and not do the law thing just because maybe my parents told me I should or because it sounds good or maybe because a girl's going to think I'm you know, important because I'm an attorney. Right. And not that there's anything wrong being an attorney. There are guys who love being a lawyer and that's awesome. And if that fills them up, then that's amazing. But it's, are you doing it because of that? Or are you doing it because your dad wanted you to be an attorney? Right. And I, and that's, you know, my parents never pushed me in one direction or the other, but it it was definitely a, you know, growing up as a young guy, I didn't have a ton of Mm self-confidence and I was always looking to prove myself. And 
when I look back and reassess my life, I, I think I was just trying to prove something, hmm. prove that I was the kind of person that could do this kind of thing. And then after it was all said and done and I'm actually doing the thing, I'm like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Wow. But I've known from a young, young age. I mean, I've been, I've been coaching since kindergarten. Like I had a friend in kindergarten who was a little overweight and he got picked on and he was self-conscious. I created a plan for him that he did not ask for <laughs> that we were going to help him lose weight <laughs> right. because he was getting picked on. And, and my grand scheme <clears throat> was to switch from chocolate milk at lunch to, to uh, 1% milk. And he was on board, but then uh, I'm pretty sure I was probably kind of judgy, a little pushy um, about him wanting to drink chocolate milk some days. And he found some other people to sit with. Got it. So my first client did not go well. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I hope he found his path and, and he is happy now. I, I don't know where he is. but that Maybe kinda, he's drinking almond milk now. Yeah, maybe, yeah. you know. Um, and so, but that kind of reoccurred throughout my life. Uh, and I figured out how to be a little bit more subtle hmm. about that approach. But I mean, if you ask my friends now... Yeah, I, I don't let any of them rest on their laurels. Yeah. Like I'm always kind of like niggling away at something. Like what? What are you doing? Hmm. You know, what are we up to? And just asking them questions, because it's just so important to me to help other people. Like that's the that's what I feel like I'm here for is to yeah. help other people realize what it is they're trying to do. And and so yeah, I, I, I should have had a better career counselor when I was young. <laughs> They'd have been like, you love to talk and you love to help other people. Why don't you start a podcast helping other people? There you go, right? You know, before podcasts You would have been existed. the first podcast ever. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I'd have been so far ahead of the game. I love it, though. So was there a point in time, you know, you're a financial planner, you're looking mm -hmm. for to help people, you're looking to find your happiness there. Right. Was there a moment or was it a progression where you were like, this is something bigger? It was definitely a progression. I mean, I got into doing it really because there was so much need. There was so much help to be done. And when I truly looked at the financial world, I was like, oh my gosh, there's all these people that are so intimidated by the financial world and what that means and the language and the terminology. They don't, they don't want to go and call any of the big banks or financial institutions because they feel like they're, you know, the least important client they might have. So I really felt there is this amazing opportunity to go help, you know, as many people as we can. But then when you're actually sitting in the meetings day after day after day and year after year and you start to hear what's actually going on in people's lives, it turned in from me going to, you know, let's help as many people with their finances as all of a sudden it literally felt almost like an internship I was going through where I was just sitting there learning about life. So I'm helping them, you know, get their investment portfolio together, helping them get insurance, you know, manage their budget, build their emergency fund. And I'm literally just learning about life from couple after couple and person after person. So it's like I became an apprentice for the last decade of my life and all of a sudden learned all this information that now I feel like I literally know what life isn't. And now the challenge is let's go see what life can be. And that become, you know, has become my real big passion is, and you just mentioned the thing is let's have conversations and let's, let's challenge each other. Um, one of the things Will and I talk about is how can we get people to sit down, maybe even with strangers and actually have conversations about stuff that's real. And one of the big things that I, I want to work on and try to create, not just here in Charlotte, but across the country and hopefully across the world is get people together, maybe in a coffee shop or in a restaurant or a bar or a park or whatever that want to sit down and talk about life. Not about, you know, how many followers they have or what's going on or where they took their trip to or how much money they have or their new car, but what are they doing? What are they scared about? What are they really excited about doing? What, how are they challenging themselves? Um, and sit there and say, hey, let's talk about Carl. Are you Carl? Am I Carl? What are we doing? And, you know, I want to create a whole movement around that um, and, you know, use the hashtag sit with someone. So just sit with someone and talk and hopefully utilize the book Blue Goat. So if you see somebody sitting there in a Starbucks with the book on their table and a coffee next to them, that's kind of your invitation to say, you know what, I'm going to go sit down with this guy or girl. And that's them putting themselves out there saying, you know what, I'm, I'm here. If somebody wants to sit down and talk about real stuff, then I'm into it. I Let's love do that. It. I love that. That's one of the things, uh, because most of the people I work with are young men hmm. and they're struggling with self-confidence and self-esteem issues. And that's one of the things, one of the early homework assignments, if you want to call it, that I give them is to go sit down and talk to people that you don't know, but talk to them about real stuff. Hmm. 
you know, we learn small talk first, right? Because people aren't really open to delving into real stuff like right away. Some people are, and that's great. And I love those people because yeah. I'm ready. Like at moment one, I'm ready to talk about the meaning of the universe. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, but but most people take a little softening up. So we do small talk stuff, but I, I want them to get out there and create some kind of meaningful interaction, even if they never see that person again. Mm-hmm. Be able to do that because it's such a beautiful life skill to have. Because when you're out and about walking through life every single day. You are, if you don't have those skills and you're afraid to do those things, you miss out on so many opportunities. Mm-hmm. And just because, you know, you stop and talk to someone, you never see them again, that's fine. And maybe you will, maybe you won't. But those same skills lead you to a place where you can develop long lasting, meaningful relationships that, you know, circle back, mm-hmm. that do create, that, that build that bottom layer of the pyramid of your life. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really important. I like what you said, you know, about the coffee shop, because that's one of the places I say go. Go to the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Go to the park. Right. Trade and try on's a good place. People are always hanging about, just walk and ask for directions, and then go from there. Exactly. Well, and, you know, if we take that time to get past the small talk, you know, my hope is that in those conversations, it's not going to be ten years worth of conversations like I've been fortunate enough to have. But if you're sitting there with somebody else and you realize they're going through the same struggles you're going through, they have the same questions. There is so much knowledge transfer that's available that's just beyond that surface layer that that's where all of our conversations lie, right? We keep our conversations so simple, so simplistic, and you know, even the way we email, text, and write to each other is all just basic stuff. So let's dive down that 3, 10, 20-foot depth and sit down and have a 15-minute conversation with somebody you've never met and say, hey, let's tell me about, you know, how what's going on with, you know, chapter one? What do you feel about chicken nugget? Is that how you feel? you know, about what's going on in life that you're comparing yourself to, you know, this kind of created or um, emblematic idea of what people's lives are. And is that what you're striving for? Or are you striving for something different? So pick a chapter, pick a topic, whatever it is, or just come up with your own stuff. But let's start having real conversations. Because I think that's going to continue to pull the veil back for everybody of the difference between what we think is happening and what's really actually happening in lives. And when we start to talk to people and realize they're just as scared as we are, just as afraid, they're trying just as hard to figure out, like you said, hey, I'm an attorney, but do I really want to do this? Is this what I want for my life? And I think hearing those conversations, asking those questions will start to give us the confidence, but also the freedom to say, you know what? Wow, I'm not the only one doing this. There, are, Everybody else is in the same place I'm in. Let me harness that and let me go and do something different because I realized that starting my own podcast isn't the scariest thing in the world because yeah. it changes everything when you start doing what you really love doing. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, it sounds like you've probably worked with people who you've seen go through this transition. And and, and I have as well. What, what do you see as kind of that the biggest stumbling block for them to get over to make that decision to actually pull the trigger and do something different. I mean, it's fear every time it's the fear of the unknown, the fear of, well, what if it doesn't work out? Yeah. The fear of, uh, what are my friends going to say? The fear of, well, if I put the real me out there and people finally see who I really am, am I going to lose friends? Am I going to not fit into the social circle? What is this all going to look like? Am I not going to have enough money? So it's all those worries and we start to create this whole world that hasn't even happened yet that keeps us, you know, in the boat, if you will. That kind of that prison of our own design. Exactly. And and you're speaking directly to my experience. That was my thought. What are my friends going to think? What's my family going to think? My mom helped me go through law school. What's she going to, you know, say when I'm Mm -hmm. like, nah, you know, and she was surprisingly awesome Hmm. about it. She's very, I mean, she always has been, she's always been very supportive of my journey, but I know a lot of people don't have that. Right. A lot of people have, you know, mom in the back corner, like, what do you mean? (laughs) Right. You know, and and get really, really upset. And, and so having support, uh, I, I, maybe I take it a little bit for granted, but I I can't imagine how hard it would be not having support. Right. And, 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 you know, the fear, cause the fear for me was very real. The fear of, you know, because my friends did, a lot of them still do question it. They're like, well, you're just unhappy right now. Mm -hmm. Life is hard for everyone. You know, these things are tough. You got to get through them. And and they're actively trying to talk me back into it. But, you know, I don't think they really understand it's over. Like, it's not, I'm not thinking about it anymore. I've been thinking about it for a couple of years. The decision is now made. Right. You know, I think some of that is fear on their side as well of of the unknown, of, of striking out into a path that someone else hasn't necessarily 
paved already for you. Right. Well, and even for me, I mean, I go back to, you know, as a headmaster's son, uh, I played soccer, basketball, and lacrosse, you know, played sports in college. And here I was right out of college living in New York City. And I was the guy who would go and sit on the park bench on a Saturday and write. And that's not what my friends were doing. No. And I think there was that part of me that was always afraid of, am I the only guy who's thinking this stuff? Am I the only one who's asking questions like, what are we all doing? What's this all about? And over the years, to your point, you know, you get caught up in your career, you get caught up in everything else and you start to feel like, all right, I've got to have this. I need to have this. I need to do this. I need to be this. And I finally got to a place, you know, 39 years old where seeing enough of where that gets you and how many people you meet that aren't happy, aren't fulfilled, aren't feeling what they want to feel about themselves and the life that they've chosen. I kind of just, I threw a flag on the whole thing and I said, it's all BS. I'm done. And I'm going to throw the flag and say, all right, enough. And I'm finally going to be court. And if people like what I have to say, great. But if they don't, not that I don't want people to like Blue Goat, but I honestly just don't care. Right. That's, because <laughs> that's beautiful. And that's the key that I'm going to go back and I'm going to find those versions of court that I gave up when I was 10. You know, the thing I didn't do because I was afraid because I was the overweight kid, you know, that wore the, the husky clothes. They don't have the husky department anymore, but I had the husky clothes. But I'm going to go back and I'm going to find all those versions of court and I'm going to bring those back into me and not allow them to be left back in the past. And I'm going to say, no, that's who I am. And I'm going to go back and pick up those pieces that I threw away or let fall behind at some point because I was afraid about what somebody might say about them. And now I'm, you know, the hardest part is it took me 39 years to do it. And that's where my hope and challenge is to find that 18 year old, that 10 year old, that 30 year old to say, don't do that. Don't give that up. Don't throw away who you are to be who you think you're supposed to be. The world doesn't need that different version of you. They need the you that you are because there's no other version of you. Yeah. Be authentic about it. Speak your voice. And that's the hardest thing for us is we try to emulate what other people did because we don't really know how to do it because it's, it's scary Mm -hmm. to start. I mean, I remember the first time I sat down with just me and the microphone just me a room and a microphone just start talking and you're like you know that little voice in your head and you talk about the voice in the book my vo- your voice is apparently a lot nicer to you <laughs> than mine is most of the time yes mine's kind of a dickhead uh he, you know he's like who the hell would want to listen to you what do you have to say that anybody cares about right um you know i have like i have a voice in the front of my head who's a pretty nice guy and we're driven and we're motivated but that guy yeah. in the back of my head is just He's very powerful and, mm. and, and just, he has that baby boomer voice in right. the back of my head. Like, you know, what are you doing? This is crazy. You need to do the thing that you spent all your life trying to do. You need to stop it. Stop the craziness. Yeah. Um, and so sitting in, in, a, in a quiet room with just a microphone, that guy's a lot louder. But what I, you know, what I always tell other people when they ask me like, well, how do you do it? You, you literally just do it. Right. And, and it's bad. And, and you do it again and it's a little bit better <laughs> and, and you just keep doing it and not giving a shit that other people might be judging it and that other people might not like it. And once you've been doing it long enough, you get into that comfort zone. And Mm. and I explained it like, you know, when I first started waiting tables, it was really scary. I'm like, I, how would, could I ever get all these people to be happy? But after I've been doing it for a year or two, I could do it in my sleep. Mm -hmm. I was good. I was confident, you know, and it's, and that's like anything else. You just have to stay at it and you'll get to that zone of comfort where you're like, Oh yeah, this is my thing. Mm -hmm. I used to prepare for like 15 hours for every interview and I still do my preparation but I'm not so worried that I feel like I got to look at my script the whole time. Like, what do I say here? Mm. Oh, oh, don't worry, worry. And because I've been doing it long enough, I got comfortable with it. But if you go back to the beginning of this podcast and listen, it's brutal. (laughs) You know, it's probably more brutal to me because I can really hear that stark difference, but it's brutal. And that kind of takes me to an idea. I write, uh, I have a Facebook group of guys that I, that I work with and every day I try to write them something. Mm. And one of the things that struck me yesterday was, uh, the fear of criticism. Mm. And it goes back to the fear of we sometimes don't do the things that we want to do for fear. Right. And the, one of my big ones was criticism. I do not like it when people criticize me. Um, it's just one of those things I've always had. I, it, it bugs me. Even when it's good criticism, it bugs me. And But I finally sat down, I wrote this, and I was thinking about a book I had read once. It's called The Art of Racing in the Rain. Okay. It's a really cool book. It's kind of uh, got a philosophy tinge. It's told from the dog's perspective. Okay. Um, really unique book. Cool. And I got done reading it, and I felt compelled to leave a review. Hmm. And I don't do that a lot. I just really enjoyed the book. So I went on Goodreads, and I'm leaving this review, and I see the reviews. I'm looking through them, and most of them have no comments. And there's one, and this guy, you know the guy. You've seen him before. He's the smug guy. 
intellectual mm-hmm. who just is too good for everything. Right. And and he's just doing this systematic takedown of this book. And if you've never read the book, you're like, this book probably sucks. Mm-hmm. And then you look, and there are hundreds of people that are just so upset that he had this opinion. And and it got me thinking, like, what is the author taking from all of this? Mm-hmm. Because as a younger man, I would see that one comment, and it would mess with me. I would take it to heart, and I'd be like, what this guy, and he doesn't understand. And, and And I probably wouldn't spend that much time looking at the other comments. And maybe not think about the fact that there are hundreds of people telling this guy to stop being an asshole, right. that, that he's wrong. And, and that was kind of the essence of the story I was writing, is don't worry. If you are speaking your truth, it's not going to resonate with everyone. Right. There are going to be people that hate it. Mm-hmm. And that's good, because you're saying something that matters. You're out there, you're speaking your opinion, your truth. And if it resonates with you know the 10 people that you actually meant it, for it to resonate with and it changes their life in some kind of meaningful way a thousand people can hate it and that shit doesn't matter exactly that was kind of the essence of what I wanted them to understand like yeah the critics are always going to be there they're never Mm going to go away when Beyonce puts out a new record the world loves it and there's always people who are like it's not her best work right you know but she doesn't the beats just weren't on point right yeah (laughs) you know and and that always brings me back to this uh, Teddy Roosevelt quote and uh, it's not the critic who counts. Right. It's not the guy who sits on the sidelines while, you know, the men are in the arena. Not the men, but, you know, the people are in the arena actually doing the fighting and doing the work. Right. It's not the critic on the sideline who wants to tell them they're not doing it right that matters. Don't mm-hmm. listen to that person. Exactly. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in the book, I actually call them the couch cowards. They're the people that are sitting on the sidelines that no matter what, they're going to find fault with something because... All too often, they're the ones who just aren't happy themselves. So they're constantly looking for other things going on in the world around them. They never want to look in the mirror. They always want to look at the screen. Yeah, it's easier. Right. So for me, you know, it's funny when you mentioned that when I wrote Blue Goat, it wasn't, and it sounds silly, but it wasn't for anybody else. What I found when I finished writing it was literally if nobody ever read it and if I didn't even put it out there, it was truthfully the greatest gift I could have ever given myself so because of that and because it was my truth it was exactly what it needed to be and that's why I didn't have anybody else you know proof it I had people edit it just grammatically because apparently I don't I don't know how to use commas or semicolons oh me neither you and you would think at this stage in my life I would have figured it out but yeah I'm still pretty bad at it so it's funny the the initial version that came out there were still some edits that were wrong and some grammatical stuff and it just hey it is what it is I wrote the book I didn't have anybody else do it and if people get caught up on grammar, if people get caught up on, you know, the analogies or don't like this or that, then that's their own nonsense to deal with. And that's one of the stories I tell in the book about, um, you know, we're too often quick to throw trash on other people's grates. I kind of equate our, our lives and the way we interact with the world like a, a sewer grate you see in the city where it's got the metal bars, you know, and some are really set far apart. So the coffee cup and the trash and all that stuff goes right through it. And others are set really close where you literally have like gum and pigeon feathers and dirt and wrappers and it's all gunked up on it. And too often we allow all the trash and the garbage going on in the world around us to gunk up our lives. And as an individual, I think one of the biggest gifts we can give ourselves is to say, I'm not going to let the bars in my life and how I let the world, you know, um, affect me to be the type of person where I'm going to catch all the trash and all the garbage. So I look at it where, you know, in the day to day and if somebody leaves a bad review, then that's just them throwing trash, but it's not going to get caught on my grate. My bars are set far apart. And the only thing that's going to get caught on me is something that's real and something that's important. And I'm there to catch somebody if they need my help. All the other little nonsense, somebody spit their gum, their coffee cups, whatever that crap is, that's going into the sewer. I'm not touching that. That's not affecting me, not affecting my grate and not going to change my life. So I think all too often we let ourselves get so worried, so caught up and so concerned about what the world is going to think or say or, you know, how they're going to look at us that we get our great so close together that everything that happens in the world around us, oh my gosh, they didn't like my shoes. They don't like my car. They didn't think I looked good enough at the party or they didn't see, you know, we went to this place, but we didn't stay at this hotel. We should have stayed at the nicer hotel. And we're worried about what people are going to think or assume or judge about us because of who we are and what we do. And if we can say, I don't, care at all about how other people think about me as long as I'm making decisions that are honest, genuine, and because they're in line with the life I want to live, that's living your truth. And the critics that are sitting on the couch throwing trash at you, they're not going anywhere anyway. So 
if we can let them stay where they are, let them throw their trash and let it go into the sewer rather than affect us, it, it you know, it's never going to be the sort of thing where it takes anything away from the day and the life that you're trying to live. Yeah, I, I love that. That's something that I certainly struggled with and I see a lot of other people struggle with is, is they. Hmm. You know, what are they going to think? And, you know, going through school, I was always like, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up and we didn't have the best stuff. And kids are brutal about that kind of stuff. Right. And, and so I was always trying to find the thing that would get people to at least stop noticing me. Hmm. Just to be able to fit in, to be one of those sheep. Yeah. I just wanted to be in the middle of the herd for five <laughs> seconds. You know, right. just I felt like there was going to be comfort there. Hmm. But then I found my way in. And like I found my way into the middle of that herd where I was able to blend in and make friends and, and start living like that kind of normal life. But I was like, this isn't where I want to be either hmm. because I don't blend in. Like I very much dance to the beat of my own drum and, and I want to. And, you know, my parents spent years telling me like you just you have to you have to, you know, do these things. So I was always in trouble in school for, you know, questioning the rules. And I said, but, but, but this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Why? And, and why was not a good answer, a good question. They didn't just because. Right. And that's the way it is. Because that's the way it is. Everyone, mm-hmm. basically everyone has to eat shit. You have to learn how to eat it too. Yeah. And, and that's how, that's what life is. Yeah. Just step in line and deal with it. Right. Just, right. yeah, just get in line. And, and that just, it never, it, it never sat right with me. And then what do I do is I go into a profession that is all about the rules <laughs> and eating shit. I mean, it literally is like as a lawyer, if you're a trial lawyer and you want to take a vacation, you have to ask for permission. Hmm. Like you've got to get permission from the court to be like, okay, you can go, but only for these times. Hell no. <laughs> right. This, the idea that I could live the, the rest of my life as a grown up, you know, trying to find my truth, but asking for permission to go on vacation is absurd to me. Yeah. Like I, I want to create a life where I am always on vacation and I'll work at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, I can work and be, and I, I don't want there to be this distinct vacation Right. anymore where I take these two weeks and I go do a thing and and then the whole time I'm like oh three days left oh two days left oh we have to leave tomorrow and and I don't want that's not the kind of life that I wanted to build for myself anymore but isn't that what so many people are doing though they're saying okay we've got this vacation coming up in December right so they work 11 months and two weeks in a job they hate to finally get to go and live for two weeks yeah. Right. And that is what so many of us do. And it's the same thing. I mean, how many times during the week or during your day do you run into a person on the elevator and it's Wednesday and they're like, oh, man, two more days until the weekend. Thank goodness. So we're constantly just trying to get through the days, get through our life for that one moment or that thing or that time when we can enjoy it for a brief second and then get back in the mud and the crap and the, you know, miserable stuff that we don't like. So that's a sort of experience that's the sort of stuff that after you hear it over and over like you said you just hit pause you're like what are we doing what are we doing we're just throwing all the way this time this energy this emotion we have to maybe have two days of fun and life every six months or every year that is not living and i think the hardest part is so many of us get stuck working jobs we hate doing things we don't like because by shit we don't need sh- to yeah. impress people we don't like. Bingo. <laughs> Wasn't that it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, that yeah, that resonated with me. And of mm-hmm. course I didn't take it nearly enough to heart as a young man, but still it's there. <laughs> yeah. You're so right. Yeah. So we have this big house, you know, that has more rooms than we need. We have cars that we can barely afford. And all of it's because we want people to think that we're successful. And yet the people next to you in their house are just are trying just as hard to get it all together. And you think, oh, well, they have it and they went and bought a new car. Well, it's because they saw somebody else buy a new car. So they're like, well, we need to do that to keep up with them. So we all get in this crazy, ridiculous, stupid rat race to have all this stuff. And yet it doesn't allow us to do all the things we say we want to do. So to your point, at what time do you finally say, you know what? I don't need any more stuff. I don't need any more things. I'm going to turn it all around and I'm going to start making decisions that are actually based on a life, not opposed or not based on things. Yeah. And I think the hardest part for so many people that I talk to is you start to realize that even when their cup is overflowing, even when they literally have everything they could ever want and that 99% of the world would do anything to have their lives, their cup is still half empty. They have it all. They've got the house. They've got the car. They've got the job. They have all the clothes. They have a refrigerator full of food. They have everything you could ever possibly need or want. And yet they're still thinking and worrying and concerned and consumed with what they still don't have. And we go through life year after year after year after year, always worrying about what we don't have and never actually enjoying what we have. And that's not living. 
Now, to go back to to what you said about the guy on the elevator, that's somebody that always sticks out in my head too, because hmm. I've been that person. When I first got out of law school, that was my job, and I mean I've had a lot of other jobs I hated, but it was just mindless work and all. You know, not even oh it's Wednesday, it's like oh it's ten o'clock. Oh, all right, it's one. I can go eat some lunch, and that's like my respite during the day. Right. So I get to go grab some lunch, <laughs> and and then you come back and you're like, all right, it's two o'clock. I've only got three hours left, you right. know. And you listen to a podcast, you try to listen to a book, and get through it, and just pound through it. And the idea that we're selling our lives for whatever hourly wage they're giving you, right? To feel like that all day. The days are so long, and you know when you when you look back over those types of days. Can you tell me what day Tuesday was? Right. What did you do on Tuesday? It just depends on what was on TV that night. Right. That's the only way you're going to tell if somebody. If I can remember what I ate, maybe. <laughs> oh, right. I ate a Panera on Tuesday. Tuesday was a good day. Right. Uh, and and that it makes me think of another book I read called Moonwalking with Einstein. Hmm. And it talks about uh, it's a base. It's a guy who ended up. He's a journalist who ended up competing in a memory competition. Okay. And. But what he starts examining memory very deeply hmm. and trying to understand how it affects our life. And one of the things he found is, you know, so when you were a kid, do you rem- like, do you have these vivid memories of like, you know, your grandfather's oak tree or just these things, these oh, yeah. vivid images mm-hmm. that are random and they don't make any sense. And as we get older, we start having less of those. We start hmm. being able to remember the minute details of our life. It's just, it becomes harder. And, and he explains that, as a kid, everything you're doing is fresh, new, and exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, everywhere you go, you go to the lake, and you're like, I've never been to the lake before. It's the best thing ever. Right. And you're so excited because you're doing these new and amazing things. And then as we, you know, we get older, take, for instance, he talks about a guy that lives in the same town, works at a factory, moving this from here to there, from here mm-hmm. to there all day, goes to the same two restaurants on the weekends, and that's his entire life. Right. And not to say there's anything wrong with that for him. However, when he looks back over his life, he will perceive it to be shorter hmm. because he has not created these memory anchors that help him differentiate moments in time. Right. Whereas someone who is doing something new and interesting and unique all the time is going to create more memory anchors through the course of their life. So those two people at 70 years old are going to view their life very different. One's going to be able to talk about all these amazing experiences and they're going to view this timeline as a much longer timeline because they have all these anchors to help them see Hmm. these timelines. And when I read that, it it really just popped a light in me. I was like, this job that I was doing, it was the factory job. I was not creating any type of interest. I wasn't doing anything new, interesting that like if I had done that my whole life and I was working with people who had been doing that job their whole life. Right. And it, it, it terrified me that I was going to look back over my life and it was going to have seemed very short in comparison to what it could have because I didn't do that many things. Like I I lived for the weekend. Right. I went and hopefully did something reasonably fun on the weekend. (laughs) And then when you have a job you hate, it ruins Sunday. Right. Because you you wake up Sunday morning, you have Mm -hmm. breakfast, and then once breakfast is over, you realize, shit. Here we go again. Here we go. I'm going to start getting ready for Monday. (laughs) And and it's terrible. Like it, shitty jobs ruin the days that you're not even there because you're stressed about having to go back to them. Well, and also to your point, the problem is that our lives have become so scheduled. I mean, you think about that even for kids, right? When we were younger, you would play on a Saturday and go hang out. But now they've got this practice, this recital, this. So everything that we do is so scheduled. And as adults, you know, we've got work, you've got to drop the kids off, you've got to go, you've got to pick them up, you go to the gym, you come back home, you've got to, you know, do this, that or the other thing. There's never any space or any time for anything that isn't part of the schedule. And I think to your point, one of the biggest issues, if you think about it, if we are constantly just doing the same things day after day after day, and yet we're expecting something different or greater, amazing to happen, it just, that just doesn't work out that way. So how do we create opportunity for things to sit down? And that's one of the reasons I challenge people at the end of the book. It's like, you know, put down the phone, put down the computer and sit there with a piece of paper. Go for a walk, meditate, sit on the couch by yourself, just turn off the flow of all the information, all the stuff and all the things happening to you and finally decide with your one life and the you know, opportunity and time you have, do something for yourself and get out of that scheduled, habitual you know, routine where it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, okay, on Friday I go out for drinks with my friends, we party, I wake up Saturday, I'm hungover, I don't feel good, 
you know, we go back out and do it again Sunday. We watch football, wake up. Thank goodness Game of Thrones is on because then it lessens the pain of, you know, right. work on Monday. And then when that's over, you're like, oh, my gosh, now what do I do on Sunday night? Now work is really even worse tomorrow. Oh, yeah. So but we go through and go through and go through. And then the only thing that we're looking forward to is that, you know, that trip or our friend's wedding or the birth or whatever. We're waiting for these moments, but we forget that our life is happening the whole time as we're waiting to get there. Yeah. And we need to get out of that moment or, or that mindset of constantly waiting for a moment to enjoy life because that's what we're doing, right? We're waiting for that time. Oh, man, I can't wait till I do that big presentation or I can't wait until we get to take that trip and we're numb until we get there. Yeah. So how do we go back, flip that mindset and say, no, I'm going to live each one of these days and I'm going to drink it all up and take it all in and do everything I can to enjoy the moment and not just get through them all. Mm. I'm going to give a shout out real quick to my buddy, Charlie Maylot. Uh, I do that because yesterday um, I was in the middle of writing something and it was something really long and kind of involved, but uh, really you know, important to my heart. Mm-hmm. And then I get, I get done writing and I go and I check my Facebook because my group's there and I like to interact with them. And my buddy Charlie had, I haven't talked to him in several years. He's just a buddy from college. And he had written on my wall. I'd posted something in 2015. I think it was the day Marty McFly, you know, came back from the, you know, to the future. Right. And I had posted something <laughs> along the lines of this was kind of early on in my journey of like discovery of myself. And I'd posted something like, you know, what what did you want to do 15 years ago? Hmm. Whatever that is, start doing it now. Like future you is going to be delighted. Yeah. And that was in like October of 15, hmm. October 21st, I believe. Uh, and so then it came up on October 21st, and I reposted it because I was like, yeah, I was like, and I was like, future me is delighted That's because awesome. I've done so much in two years. And then, so he messaged or he, he wrote on my wall yesterday. He was like, you know, I've been thinking about that post from last week and, 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 uh, and you're right. He's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I don't, mm. that life isn't made to be sat, you know, to, to be lived behind a desk. Yeah. He was like, I want to go out. I want to see the world. I want to, you know, teach my, you know, take my kids into the world. And, 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 uh, so of course, first thing I did was message him and be like, are you fucking with me? <laughs> Because I don't want to get upset. I don't want to get excited. I don't want to get emotionally invested in this if, if you're BSing. Right. And he was like, I'm not. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And, and, and it really meant a lot to me. So then we had a phone conversation uh, a few minutes later and we talked about, you know, a number of things. He decided he wasn't going to quit his job that day. And I was like, good, mm-hmm. because don't quit your job without a plan. It's, yeah. it's okay to make that snap decision and be ready and start moving in the direction. Exactly. But don't quit your job today. And, but then I, I talked to him about taking out that piece of paper you just said. Hmm. Um, and, and he was like, well, I don't know if I'm motivated to do that today. And I was like, don't, I don't care. Like, don't think about whether or not you're motivated to do a thing. Just do the thing. Right. I was like, and if you have to put it on the calendar, cause that's what I do. I'm, you know, rarely motivated to do a thing. I was like, just put it on the calendar. I was like, so tonight you're going to take out a piece of paper and write. Yeah. And don't, even if it's only five sentences and you really don't have the motivation, that's fine. So about an hour and a half later, he texted me and he's got, a, like a long list on a piece of paper of like oh, awesome. amazing ideas yeah. because he was like, I just decided to write and here's what's came out. And I wow. was like, yeah. So yeah, to kind of speak to your point, you know, I, I love the idea of just shutting off and, and getting that piece of paper with your thoughts. Hmm. Don't take in information. You already have, most people already have all the information they need mm-hmm. to get started. They're just, you know, that's one of the things I went through is, is I would wait to start. Cause I'm like, well, I need to read one more book. I need to learn a few more things. Hmm. And, and that's, you're just, you're lying to yourself to keep, you're, you're afraid to get started. And I said, well, just get started and read the books. Yeah. And, well, and we're too worried about stopping the flow of information coming to us. Cause we're worried about missing out on something. Yeah. And you know, sometimes I think people are actually afraid of what that pen's going to write when they put it down on the paper. Oh, it'll and write some really ugly things like yeah. that will really make you work through your life. Like mm-hmm. I saw Tony Robbins a few months ago and, and he drills down. I don't know if you've ever seen him before, um, but I, I wasn't drinking his Kool-Aid before, but I'm in now. That's awesome. But he makes you a, he makes you take out a piece of paper, mm-hmm. and then he asks you some real big questions, and 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 I answered them. And then, uh, you know, when you look at that paper, you know, when he tells you, well, now what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And and it's it, but it, it's important because those were things that I had been pushing to the back of my mind and not addressing for years. And that, you know, and, and like you said, when I, I talked to all these people, what you realize is that we all have, yeah, we've got skeletons, in our closet, but we also have all this other stuff in there that is the person we want to be, the life we want to live that we're never really taking the time to go look at because it's a lot easier to not deal with it. 
it's a lot easier to just say, you know what, I'm going to just go through the days, go through the motions, go through all this stuff. And when you finally stop, say, I'm not going to read any more news. I'm not going to look at my feet anymore. I'm not going to check out anybody else's pictures. And you go and just sit and look in the mirror and look at your own life. Man, that's, that is freaking hard and it's harsh and it's tough. But if you don't do it now, then when are you going to do that? And that's when, when like you're you said, Carl's you're Carl. age, yeah, yeah. you're 64 years old. And then you turn around and you're like, man, all you got is time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really can't impress that enough upon anyone who is in a position right this second where they're not doing the shit that they want to do, where they're mm. lying to themselves. Mm. Take that moment, turn off and, and really self-reflect because it's going to, it's going to be painful, especially if you've been burying a lot of ugly stuff, it's going to be mm-hmm. painful. But once it's over, it's cathartic. Oh yeah. It's out. The, the weight that you're going to feel off your shoulders once you really address the problems and take that massive, decisive action to do something and start mm-hmm. moving in a different direction. It's it's amazing. I can speak from experience. It is, yeah. Uh, well, I won't keep you here all day, but there's a few other things I did want to know about. When did you start writing this book? Like, how long uh, has it been going? So I wrote the book in about twelve days. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's impressive. So Just, you had it. You sat down with that piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, it was one of those things where I started to just look around at different people in my life, where I was spending my time, where I was spending my energy, and realized that to my own fault, I, I'm the kind of guy who, and again, obviously that's why I do what I do, I love helping people. I love putting the energy into working with an individual or a couple or whoever, but I realized that that was all I was doing. I was giving all my energy, all my attention to everybody else, and I wasn't putting any of that into myself. So I kind of went and started cleaning out my own closet and saying, what's the crap in my life I need to get rid of who are the people I don't need around who are the relationships I'm investing in that aren't coming back to me and it was it was the craziest experience literally as soon as I did that and cleaned out the crap in my life then the book just literally came out of me I remember telling Natalie um, she was at a training and she had gone you know she had been there from 8 to maybe 5 in the afternoon she's like so what do you do all day I was like literally I've been writing all day I don't know what's going on I'm having like an out-of-body experience and it was just flowing. So the way you read the book, I mean, I didn't sat, sit down and say, okay, chapter one's going to be this, chapter two is going to be this. That's exact. I just wrote it like that. So the only difference between how I wrote it initially and how it's in the book is the story about the blue goat was at the end, and I realized that it needed to be at the beginning. And that's the only change I made. So I started it in June, um, wrote it you know, in about two weeks, and then the editing process, getting the website up, getting the logo designed, and all that sort of stuff. And you know, even the logo, the idea of the, the goat itself, I was out at a meditation retreat in California. So Natalie, my wife, um, amazingly gifted in meditation and mindfulness. And she's actually in California right now studying under Deepak Chopra, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, but we were at a meditation retreat. We were doing a sunrise meditation. It was about an hour and a half. And I come out of it and I was like, I just saw the goat. So I ran upstairs to the hotel room, pulled up my laptop, pulled up, you know, paint and kind of did a little rough draw of exactly what you see now. And then I sent it over to my friends at Hibiscus Graphics. This girl, Anna and Chow, are amazing. And um, they kind of took that idea and turned it into something that actually looks cool. But I think for me, those are just all those reminders. If we get the stuff out of our lives and just start listening to our internal voices, listening to ourselves and let kind of the magic we have inside, it is crazy what we can do and what we can create. I never thought, you know, I was a writer. I never thought I was an artist. I never thought I was any of those things. But we all have that stuff in us that if you actually just take the time to let it come out and not be afraid of it. So I started, instead of being afraid of the guy who's going to write the crappy review, I said, I can't wait to see that one review that somebody says Blue Goat is everything I needed to see. I mean, I'll tell you, I, I, yesterday was the first day that there were people, I guess, are now starting, uh, starting to finally finish the book. Um, and there were the first two reviews on Amazon yesterday. And I literally have had dreams about going on Amazon and seeing reviews of my book. And I cried yesterday seeing those moments where your dream actually is happening. And to me, that's, that's the magic of being yourself and not being afraid to step out of the herd and being that blue goat and saying, no, I'm going to create, I'm going to do, I'm going to be myself, I'm going to be unedited, I'm going to go share whatever it is I've been given that are my gifts and I'm going to put them out there in the world. And if we all do that, I think there's going to be so much more creativity. There's going to be so much more beauty, so much more love, so much more energy than us all doing stuff we hate, things we don't like, and dealing with the crap of a life that we're just stuck living. Yeah. 
No, I love that. I uh, that's what you just said is exactly why I do what I do. That feeling that you get when someone comes to you and they're like, "You changed my life." Yeah. Something that you have done, it's 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 a high. Mm-hmm. You know, your the, the chemicals that your body gives you in those moments. That, that's that's why I do what I do. I love it. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's a little selfish because I you know I do it because it makes me feel good. I uh, I worked with uh, one of, an intern I had at my office, I decided pretty early on that he was going to get coached. Hmm. And uh, he's such a good kid. I love him. Joshy. I always give him shout outs. <laughs> hey, um, Josh. Hey, Josh. <laughs> we love you. But he, uh, you know, he showed up. He was, I don't know, maybe 23. Hmm. You know, suit way too long, just kind of just disheveled. Yeah. And, but such a nice kid. You know, just had a glow in his eyes. Hmm. And uh, I liked him right away, so I hired him on the spot. Cool. And over the next year and a half that we worked together, we became very good friends. He didn't really know he was being coached in, to, for about six months. Mm. But once he did realize that he was, he had already made such amazing progress that he was in. And, and he's in still today. Like, he's one of my best friends. That's awesome. Uh, but just, you know, there's a, there's a side-by-side picture from, like, the, the, the year we met mm. to one year later that just blows me away. He hates looking at the first picture. I love it. <laughs> Because the second picture doesn't exist without the first one. Right. And, and that was, you know, in, that was one of the experiences I had that, that really, I feel like gave me license to be like, this is a thing that you can do. Hmm. Other people do this. So you're, you know, I'm, you're good at it. It changes people's lives. It makes you feel amazing. Like that is your highest level of contribution in, right. in the universe. Yeah. So that's one of my, uh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's a spot that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, who are your mentors like along this path that you, you know, have been going into, you know, into a financial planner and then deciding that you wanted to do something even bigger than that? Like who uh, anybody specific kind of guided you along that path? You know, it's it's a bit of a cliche answer, but honestly, my my mom and dad were huge, huge role models for me. My dad was a headmaster of every school I ever went to. My mom was a teacher. So, I mean, they were there. Was there a lot of pressure with like uh, dad the being the son? Essentially, yeah. yeah. Everybody was like, oh man, you must've gotten away with everything. I was like, no, no he I, was always there. Right? How could I? Well, and it was, you know, the kids are acting out in class and then you're the one who gets held behind. It's like, court, you can't, you know, you're the headmaster's son. We need you to set the example. So it, the good news is it kept me on the straight and narrow. Um, but I think seeing the leader that he was, the um, inspiration, again, he's the guy who, because of his personal experiences, he left the banking financial world and he got into education because of people who changed his life. And my mom was an amazing, amazing, I mean, she won teacher of the year for, I don't I think they kind of just stopped giving it to her because she won it so many <laughs> years in a row. And then, you know, both my sisters, my sister Kate is a, a true blue goat. She's an artist and she's never, ever felt the need or the worry to stay in the herd and she's always honored herself and because that she's done you know art for Cole Haan and you know it, Italian companies and she's actually working with the Seahawks right now to design their shoes for you know their Thursday night football wow. game and same thing my sister Kelly I mean she's done work with you know kids from all over the world and set up these huge events and um, just the things that they do to honor themselves I think have inspired me but the the truth, the biggest thing that I think I've been fortunate enough to do is I've always listened to my co-pilot. And I've always listened to that voice in the si- inside my head that said either, yes, this is where we need to be or no. I mean, I was in New York City, had a great job making great money. And like you said, I remember going to these meetings or sales meetings. I'm looking around. All the guys are miserable. They're all 50 years old. You know, they look terrible. They're out of shape. They're unhealthy. They're sickly. I'm like, this is not what I want to do with my life. So I quit and I went and taught high school and I was there and I was like, ah, this, this doesn't feel right. This isn't what I want to do. So I quit and I left and then I moved to Charleston and I started doing sales and consulting work and it just didn't feel right. So I quit and I left and I went to the next thing. So I was constantly saying, if I die today, am I doing exactly what I want? And I truly, I, I mean it when I say it, if I died today, I'll be the happiest guy you've ever met. Because I live every day to make sure that whenever my last day comes, I'm exactly where I want to be. And if I'm not in that place today, then I'm going to change everything, regardless of what's going on. And I think that allowing that co-pilot to have the voice that it needs to have has given me permission to never apologize for you know living in New York City with all my friends. And I quit and left. And they're like, 
dude, what are you doing? You're moving to St. Louis to go teach. You're going to go teach in St. In the middle of the country. Who do you know? I was like, I don't know anybody in St. Louis, but that's the school that I got an offer from. So that's where I'm going. So I think for me, that's been, you know, a huge part of the journey. Um, and not that there aren't, you know, countless great books and speakers and, you know, listening to the Warren Buffett's of the world talk, amazing people. But for me, I think the most important guide that we have is ourselves. And while I think there's so many great books, I mean, we were talking about Gary Vaynerchuk and all these different personalities and celebrities and amazing authors. There's so much to be said for what they do, but I also think that we truly undervalue the mentor, the role model, the guide that we have inside ourselves. And we're always looking for those external people to give us the insight we need. And we have all the insight we need. We're just so afraid to listen that we never, we never turn that volume up. Right. And that's one of the things I really hope that, you know, Blue Goat does for people is help them, you know, not again, it's a book. So I hope people read it and like it, right? Like any other book, but I don't want it to be like, oh, I want to follow Court Creedon. I want it to be because of what I read that Court shared. Now I'm going to turn up my own volume. Now I want to listen to myself more than I'm going to listen to anybody else. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing about the book that spoke to me is it didn't feel like it felt like someone was talking to me about my trouble. It didn't feel like someone was telling me their story and like, you know, this is the example you have to live by. Hmm. It was asking me questions. It was it was making me ask myself questions. And that's where really where the value in it was for me. Um, I wish I'd found, you know, I wish it had been published six months ago. <laughs> um, but but it was it was nice to I kind of felt like a little bobblehead while I was reading. It. I was like, yes, yes. Oh, that's so cool. Yes. Yeah. That's it awesome. spoke to me. I loved it. Speaking and with books, I always like to get book recommendations from people because anybody who's you know made it to this point of success in their life has has read a number of good books. What are what are a good one or two that people along this type of path oh, man. should probably read? And I know it's kind of on the spot, like oh, there's so many. There are so many. Um, I'm trying to think for me, and this one's kind of selfish too because I always like getting good book recommendations. Yeah, I mean, I, there's so many that you know if you go on Amazon right now, they're the ones that you know everybody would see that. I mean, I read a lot of the, the big ones that, you know, the outliers, the Freakonomics, all those types of books that we all know. I'm trying to think of any others that aren't kind of the mainstream books. Um, well, the mainstream ones are good too, because yeah. even though they're mainstream to us, um, I can guarantee you that there's a number of listeners who have never heard of it. Yeah. You know, and they're you know, going the, to get introduced the subtle to art of not giving a fuck and, um, you know, books like that, or nice. you're a badass. Good. Cause um, that one's, uh, the subtle art is in my queue right now. Oh, is it? I have yeah. not, have not got to it, but I have read Jen Chinchero's You're a Badass, okay. and it's awesome. Yeah. So that, you know, and um, I, I like Outliers. I mean, the world is flat. Books like is that. Is Outliers Malcolm Gladwell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's I like a good his one. stuff. He's really good. So yeah. um, Siddhartha, I mean, there's some cool. Siddhartha? Mm-hmm. I don't I know mean, that that's one. A, that's a. All right, we're that's getting recommendations. That's school. what we wanted. Yeah. Siddhartha. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, I would say, man, I'm trying to think. There's a book I read when I was younger that, to me, Blue Goat kind of reminds me of a, like that. And I'm, I'm going to email you when I'll have to sure. think about what it was. We'll but, put it um, in the show notes yeah, on the blog. Yeah, put it in the show notes. Um, but it was one of those books when I remember, I think I was like 17 or 18, I read, and it was one of the first books that kind of like made me think about bigger stuff um, and other things out there. And I really hope that, regard, like you said, regardless of someone's age, my goal with this was just to help people stop and just ask themselves questions and think about what's going on, what's reality, not the reality that, you know, we follow on the TV shows and everything else, but what's my true reality. And, um, it, it's just, honestly, it's awesome. It's so cool to hear that, that, that came across and that you had that experience. I mean, that means a lot. It's really neat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would keep you here all day cause there's a lot of other things I want to talk about. Maybe we'll do that on the next, uh, the next time we record, because one of the things that uh, really spoke to me was the, uh, the section kind of, I don't know if it was necessarily on parenting, but it made me think a lot because I have a seven month old daughter now. Mm. And so I think a lot about how I want to parent her and the, and the you know kind of roadmap I want to lay out for her. Mm. And there's a lot that I could talk about as far as, you know, helping her find her truth. Right. Um, not pressuring her, even in ways that I don't realize I'm doing to try to live a version of life that is the one I want. Yeah. So we'll, we'll hit that one next time. Awesome. Um, I really enjoyed it though. Yeah. So, you know, when we come back around, let's say we interview in 10 years, where are you going to be? So Natalie and I are going to be traveling around the world doing blue goat life things. There'll be parent financials in every city across the country. And, you know, my goal is that 
to build. I mean, we've got great advisors, advisors, you know, Will's here. Um, we got people in Charleston and Greenville and Knoxville, Nashville, and we want to continue to expand. We're adding advisors up in Boston by the end of the year for Parent Financial. And so I want to have great advisors across the country helping people with their finance, but also want to have Blue Goat Life as an entity that people go to to realign their lives with the lives they want to live. Yeah. And we're going to be having workshops, um, you know, three and five day immersive workshops where you're not just going to learn about, you know, how to be successful or make more money, or it's not just about, you know, a physical fitness training and it's not just a meditation class, but I want to create a real team of experts in different genres to pull together, to sit down and say, Hey, let's help you create a life. Let's teach you about mindfulness, meditation, finance. Let's teach you about fitness, exercise, nutrition. Let's create lives, not just days and weeks of getting by. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, my goal is th- as big as possible, not just from a financial perspective, but I think one of the things that I realized in doing Blue Goat was we all have these limiting beliefs. Oh, and absolutely. I've gotten rid of every single limiting belief that I've ever had. And now all my beliefs are what's next, what's bigger, what's more, what else can I do? And that is, it's a scary, but also amazing feeling. And, you know, at the end of the book, I, I talk about when I was a kid and so many people probably felt the same way. I mean, I was Superman. I wore a cape everywhere. My mom, you know, they got these <laughs> pictures of me with a little red cape. I love it. No matter what I did. So I thought I was Superman. I thought I could fly, you know, I'd get up on the jungle gym and jump and, would never fly away. Not yet. Um, <laughs> but at, at a certain point, you know, one, it, you know, you're, it's no longer cool to wear a cape, right? The kids will make fun of you if you wear a cape to school. So the cape comes off. We stop thinking about what could happen and start worrying about not flying. And I think for me, the book was all about putting the cape back on and getting back up on the jungle gym and jumping again and realizing that. I might not fly right away, but I'm going to step back up on the jungle gym and I'm going to jump again. And if I just keep jumping, keep jumping, keep jumping, then I'm always going to be flying from now on. And that's my mindset of, I don't care what anybody says. I don't think care if it's not cool, if it's not, you know, adult or whatever, but I'm metaphorically in, you know, in my mind wearing a cape from now on. And I'm back to that Superman mentality of that's the kind of life I'm going to live. And that's all about what's possible, not what's not possible. Yeah, anymore. I think we just found the uh, title of book number two, put, <laughs> Putting the Cape Back On. Yeah, right? Exactly. I love it. That's, an- that's another topic we'll attack on the next time is the limiting beliefs, because that's mm. a huge topic. It's something I've dealt with personally, and it's something I know that uh, almost everyone deals with. Mm. That's the dickhead in the back of my head, those limiting beliefs. That's really you know kind of what they are. Right. So we'll definitely attack that one next time. I'm so glad we sat down and talked, because... I'd, I'd seen you at one of the Charlotte Business Journal things. Oh, right. Yeah, and it was, was interesting. You talked about yeah. some of this stuff, but you mm-hmm. don't know. Like, you don't know if people are really, you know, like really what their angle is when you just have a few minutes to listen to them talk. I, I knew you were a financial planner, but then I read the book, and I was like, babe, my wife, I was like, babe, he's he's got to be up to something. <laughs> I was like, because I have, as I, I did some, I did estate planning um, for a while in my practice, uh-huh. and so I have been courted by financial planners the mm. city over. Yeah. And I was like, this dude is the most woke, as the kids, <laughs> as the kids like to say these days, the uh, most like woke that. financial planner I have ever seen in my life. So um, it was really great sitting down with you, man. Thanks for Thank taking you. the time out. Yeah, so good to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do it again. And, and the sure. book is Blue Goat. You can find that on Amazon, right? Yes. And we're going to link that on the blog and the show notes. So you can check that out as well. Is there an audio book in the works? Uh, so it's been recorded. Cool. Uh, so there's an ebook and the paperback right now. The Audible version will hopefully be out in the next two nice. to three weeks. It's going to go. It's going to be up on Audible. That's great. It will be. Nice. And you're well, actually, it's actually my voice in the honor of being nice. the Blue Goat. I recorded the whole I thing love it. myself. So. And I, I told my wife that too. I was like, when I write a book, I will be the one who records it. Right. And it looks like it's self-published. It was. Yeah. Because I was look. Because I was as I was reading it, I was like, man, I wish this was on audio because that's you know it saves me time yeah and i was looking through it and i was like well he probably has to deal with things with the publisher and i'm mm-hmm. looking and i look through every page in the beginning i'm like he is the publisher right i was like that's great i was like so he's probably got something coming down mm-hmm. that's great i look forward so. to it. so yes you'll be able to find that on audible as well and we will once that launches i'll go back on the blog and the show notes and link to that as well so uh thanks court creedon from parent financial awesome. and blue goat life yeah thank you so much so All good right. to be here All right, listeners, thanks for sticking around with us today. This episode with Court Creedon was one of the best that I have recorded. I thoroughly enjoyed sitting down and getting to know him on the microphone. He has such a compelling story 
And so much of that information is so important to get out into the world. I read that book, Blue Goat, and I suggest you run out and pick it up. Uh, The audio version will be coming out soon as well. So we're going to go ahead and link that as soon as it comes out in the show notes and on the blog as well. So check that out. I really appreciate you taking a little time to spend with me today. I know how important your time is. And this episode was so valuable. I'm so happy that you stuck around with us. Now, before I let you go, if you liked what you heard today, I would be thrilled if you hopped on over to the iTunes store, Overcast, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, wherever it is that you happen to be listening. And do me a favor, hit that subscribe button and leave us an honest review of the show. That is how we keep spreading the word and bringing you killer content every week. And one more quick reminder about the comprehensive podcasting course at Advent Coworking starting in January, from idea to iTunes. And you're going to get all that delicious podcasting goodness served up in person by yours truly. Now, whether you already have an idea or you need some help nailing one down, in just four short weeks, I'm going to help you take that idea and launch it on iTunes. So if you're ready to press play on your own podcast, head on over to yourpod.pro to sign up for details. That's yourpod.pro. All right, listeners, I know your time is your most valuable asset, so thank you once again for spending just a little bit of that time with me today. Now, until next week, get out there and get after it.